0: Sun setting over here in Michigan, but lots of light in this room for the camera. It's quite a Buddha land. Good to see all of you Buddhas out there, from west coast to east coast, south and north. A warm welcome to this first night of our spring 2021, Young Man Jung Jin. I wonder, to use a nonviolent communication expression, I wonder what's alive for you during the retreat right now. Usually when we're all in the same room, there's a feeling of it. As I'm learning to get that same feeling, perhaps uh, with technology's assistance. Usually, this first part of Yongmin Zhongjin is the hardest. And our bodies are not used to sitting so long and keeping a particular schedule, and neither are our minds. Yeah. So it's hard. It's demanding. And the second day is just a little less demanding. And so it goes until we end and we think we'd like to spend more time, usually always. So in that spirit, I encourage you with something that Sunam said to me. He asked me to do a hundred day retreat while still doing my life. And he said, remember, Haju, the the hard parts are where you're going to learn the most. So though I didn't particularly enjoy the hard parts, it has always been true. But also I have noticed that when I'm able to really relax, My meditation teaches me much more as well. So it's hard. It's good when it's hard. And it's quite lovely when we can really relax in this pose that we are using called the Pose of Joyful Ease. I would like to share some stories about Won Hyo, W-O-N-H-Y-O, Won Hyo. He's very, probably the most famous um, Buddhist teacher, scholar, historical figure in Korea, even to today. He was um, alive between in the Shila, unified Shila period, which was 668 to 935. And he was born in 617 and um, lived until 686. And he became a monk uh, when he was 20. And he's known as a very unorthodox, unbridled monk. And so the stories that we hear about him are kind of quite alive. And um, I'd like to, I've read some of the stories about him, but I've also experienced some of the stories about him when I've been on pilgrimages with Sunam. And I would like to um, share the first story when I was on my, first pilgrimage to korea in 1982 the fall time so it was a time when the cosmos were in full bloom along all the roadsides in the temple yards and the leaves were turning and we went to somewhere around in the three months 90 different temples and um Sunim always would tell us the stories of the temples and of the teachers and special incidents that happened there. And uh, so in this particular temple was a little temple, um, almost like a hermitage. And it had a big yard that was empty with trees all around the yard. And it was kind of like flat earth that had been pounded down. It looked like people had been um, there coming to that little temple a lot to visit one hill. In fact, that was true that he saw people often. And um, so in the, we were standing right in the place, right in front of the door of the little hermitage temple. And Sunam said that at one point Won had married a princess of the, of the kingdom and he'd had a child. And then he had run off being an unbridled monk and not um, seen the child. And so the child's mother sent the child to visit one Hyo to um, get his inheritance. And so the young monk came and... Uh, he uh, made a bow to his father, and of course, his father returned the bow, and then he said, "Uh, I've come for my inheritance, and so uh, my mother has sent me for my inheritance, and so um, one hill thought for a moment, and then he said, there are some rakes there, please rake the yard, because a a lot of the, when I was there, it was yellow leaves. I think ginkgo leaves everywhere. And um, so maybe it was them too. Maybe they, these were old ginkgo trees. So the young um, son uh, went and quickly raked leaves and uh, got them into piles here and there and, and behind this tree and behind this thing and that thing and said to his father done father and father said no you have not done a good enough job you know you have to get all of the leaves in better shape you have not really raked the yard of course Sunim was telling this story so you can imagine and so this time then the son took it much more seriously and he spent actually all the time a great deal of time so that there was no leaf fallen but that it could be seen so really, he really must have spent hours and hours and so he came to his father and he said indeed i got every leaf and one hill said no that's not it and the son was very well and so One hill reached up and he shook the branch and a few leaves fell down. And he said, that's just right, perfectly imperfect. And when I heard the story, I always tried to get all the leaves. I don't know what your story is. You never get all the leaves or what, but it made me want to, you know, find more balanced than to try to be a little bit too fanatical one way or a little loose another way. And so I, I tell you the story because I think it applies in our life at so many times that um, we need to find uh, the, the kind of the middle way, the way of balance and the way of harmonizing uh, with um, the situation, the Buddha and the Buddha land that we are experiencing each moment. So that's uh, one story, sort of a little story about uh, Wanyo. The next one is, I think, more famous. Probably everyone in Korea knows this story, and probably every one of you have read it. If you Read this wonderful book of Korean monastic stories and of the teachers. It's called Thousand Peaks because in Korea, it's a mountainous country. Not big mountains, but beautiful ones. Yeah. So, one hill. It was a time. One hill. It was a time as a um, when he was growing up and before he became a monk. There was a lot of civil war. A lot of um, difficult times in the country. And it gradually things got changed and unified and the Buddhist religion became the main religion on the Korean Peninsula. There was a lot of connection to China and it was Tang China at that time, T-A-N-G. And it was a very vibrant time in China for Buddhism. And there was one particular Chinese monk who had gone to India to study Buddhism for 17 years. And he returned to China um, to the Tang Dynasty area. And it was like a kind of social ferment. There was so much interest that people came from the 10 directions to learn about Buddhism. And so many Korean monks um, went over to uh, China to learn. And the reason that we actually went on the pilgrimage when Sunum told the story about uh, Wenhyo's son was that he wanted to visit the seven mountain monasteries. No, I, I think it's the nine mountain monasteries that were formed by Korean monks that went to Tang China and then came back bringing um, Buddhism to Korea. And so the object of that first pilgrimage was to go around to the sites where some of the temples were still there and very beautiful. And some of the places just had a steel, S-T-E-L-E. It's a kind of like a, a, a carved rock with characters to tell the story of the spot or the temple or whatever. You would find that many places. So we, tried to visit all of the nine mountain monasteries. And it was quite a beautiful thing because it took us back to that time of Won Hyo and also of the Tang Dynasty, which brought a a lot of vibrance in Buddhism to China, but also to Korea. So Won Hyo, of course, he wanted to go over and see what was going on in China. Um, And so he and his friend, decided to um, make the, the pilgrimage. There were two ways you could go across the sea between Korea and China, or you could go up the Korean peninsula and then come south down into China and into the Tong Dynasty, dynasty area. So they decided that they would go up the Korean peninsula, they would walk. And so it, in qu- quite a long journey, and they had to even go through a desertous region and when they actually got to the Chinese border they were turned back Uh, they were it was apparently they were um, considered to be spies and they were sort of run back into Korea so they were headed trying to figure out what they would do again just going through a desert and then into a greener area they fell asleep in this green area in the night. And I'm going to just read to you because I think I don't remember the details of the story as well as they are uh, offered in this book, which um, Musang Sunim has put together. So here's the story. One evening as one hill was crossing the desert, He stopped at a small patch of green, where there were a few trees and some water, and went to sleep. Toward midnight, he awoke, thirsty. It was pitch dark. He groped along on all fours, searching for water. At last, his hand touched a cup on the ground. He picked it up and drank. Oh, how delicious! exclamation mark. Then he bowed deeply in gratitude to Buddha for the gift of water. The next morning one woke up and saw beside him what he had taken for a cup during the night. It was a shattered skull, blood caked and with shreds of flesh still stuck to the cheekbones. Strange insects crawled or floated on the surface of the filthy rainwater inside it. One Hyo looked at the skull and felt a great wave of nausea. He opened his mouth. As soon as the vomit poured out, his mind opened and he understood. Last night, since he hadn't seen and hadn't thought, The water was delicious. This morning, seeing and thinking had made him vomit. Ah, he said to himself, thinking makes good and bad, life and death. And without thinking, there's no universe, no Buddha, no Dharma. All is one. And this one is empty. There was no need now to find a master. Wan already understood life and death. What more was there to learn? So he turned and started back across the desert to Korea. And he was with uh, We Seng, who hadn't had that experience. And so eventually, when he could, he did go to China, his friend. So Wan Hill then returned uh, to um, his uh, monasteries and to um, his work in Korea. And um, We sangng went to China. And Wan Hill became, as we say, the unbridled monk, with doing many things of benefit to Buddhists, in fact, popularizing a great deal. But what I wanted to tell you that story for is to, to look at it in terms of our own practice. When there's a situation in our life, remember I said this morning that we should let our practice, our method, do the work. Let our practice, our method, the way we do our meditation practice, do the work instead of seeing and thinking. So that means when a situation comes up, we would immediately bring our practice up and vivid and alive. So then we go past the habitual ways which we have developed to see things as they really are. It's interesting because it reminds me of a beautiful piece of calligraphy, which some of you may have seen here in our Buddha hall. It's, um, it was um, a piece of calligraphy, which was done by Wilhelm Sunim. He was Sunim's teacher and he was a a wonderful calligrapher. And what it says is a mute person. No, um, what, what is it? Um, A blind deaf, and mute one had a wonderful dream. And that's what came to me when I read the story this time, a blind deaf and mute one had a beautiful dream. I think it was wonderful dream. When we do not habitually respond to our senses, and let our practice, our meditation methods do the work, we go beyond our conditioning, And I think that that's actually what this piece of calligraphy shares with us as well. The same thing that one hill discovered uh, in the graveyard, I guess it was. So as we continue now on with our retreat, the other thing that comes to my mind is a story about my younger daughter. And I know for sure I've told a couple of you this story. It is that especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I would phone her or she would phone me and we would do FaceTime every day. And it was always at the time when the kids, age one and a half and three, were having dinner. And she would um, put the phone on the wall while she was making dinner, while she was feeding them. And it it was a terrible scene to see, at least for me. I, the kids were screaming, she was trying to do so many things at the same time. And so I would say, I said to her at this one time, I said, "Uh, honey, you know, I don't want to take up your time right now because you've got so many things, other things to do. Please take care of the children and, you know, the, the meal and getting them to bed. And she said, no, mom, I want you to witness this. In other words, I don't want your judgments about what you think I should be doing or you should be doing. I would like you to just pay full attention. Use my method. Let it do the work. Instead of chipping in with my Really, my judgments. And I knew it was that while well, I was saying, although I thought I was trying to help her, really, she felt my judgment. And we do that to ourselves a lot. And the idea is not get back, let our method do the work. Remember, that's the first guideline that I was sharing with you uh, this morning. So please digest this for you. And see how it can work with your Buddhas and your Buddha lands through the night. And we'll see you tomorrow. It is not that you cannot do it, it is that you do not do it. And if not now, when? So, okay.